God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. Jesus Christ is the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people. And he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and he is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you It knows no bounds. Today we will hear some wonderful music, read some of the Bible together regarding reaching up to God and reaching out to others. Our interview segment is with Jimmy Allen. Jimmy is an accomplished photojournalist having photographed presidents in Washington, scientists in Dubai, missionaries in Portugal, and priests in Tibet and the homeless on the streets of our city. He is the founder and CEO of Bureau Gravity in Aurora, Illinois, and he is a wonderful brother in Christ in whom the Word of God lives. It's an interview I know you will definitely enjoy. Let's start off with I Was Made to Love You by Toby Mack. Dream is fading now, I'm staring at the door I know it's over cause my feet have hit the cold floor Check my reflection, I ain't feeling what I see It's no mystery Whatever happened to a passion I could live for What became of the flame that made me feel more And when did I forget that I was made to love on my dreams, but I still believe, I'm reaching out, reaching up, reaching over, I feel a breeze cover me called Jehovah.
song toby mac and when he sings in that song he says i would give up anything for you well i made a little note here on my paper what would i give up well how about fear how about sin consciousness how about strife envy bitterness unbelief that'd be another great one to give up whatever your ministry and privilege in serving may entail it is vitally important that it begins in prayer. Prayer is the bond that builds the relationship between God and His children. Time and time again, we are instructed in God's Word to pray without ceasing, to not be anxious, but to go to our Heavenly Father and to boldly approach His throne of grace. We are also reminded in Scripture that when we do go to God in prayer, He hears us. Our words are not in vain when we pray according to His will. In the Gospels, Jesus Christ is a wonderful example of approaching God in prayer. In order to see the genuine spiritual results in our lives that will glorify God, we must start with prayer. Today I'd like to look at reaching up to the Father first in prayer and then reaching out to others to reconcile them back to Him as he directs. Here in John 17 is a record of one of the powerful prayers that Jesus Christ prayed. We'll start in verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. And now, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, and with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and you gave them me, and they have kept thy word. 
Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are from you. Verse 8, For I have given unto them the words, the words which thou gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you, Father, did send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are yours. Here in John 17, Jesus Christ is praying for the men, the apostles, which God had given him. In the prayer we see that Jesus Christ did all the work that his heavenly Father required of him. We further see in this part of the prayer that Jesus Christ gave the men God's word, which literally was not only the words that he spoke, it also included his life. Jesus is the living word. He made known the living God. He finished the work his father had sent him to do. A little further down in verse 17 of the same chapter in John, we see Jesus prays that the men are made holy or set apart by the truth and that God's word is truth. And then in verse 20, he includes in his prayer, you and I. Let's read verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. We are those that have believed on him through the word of the apostles. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ prayed for you. He prayed that you would know the Father and whom the Father had sent, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes in our lives, well, we have a tendency to want to, to just hop right into the task at hand or to get going with the ministry we have been called to without taking the time to pray and to ask our Father for the direction needed. You would think that if anyone were to be immune from prayer, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet time and time again, we can read in the Gospels where Jesus went apart from others to pray. He cherished his time of fellowship with his Heavenly Father. His life flowed from his Father, and all that he did was at the direction of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 30, it says, I, Jesus, can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Jesus Christ did not seek his own will. He sought the will of the Father. He looked to the Creator of the heavens and the earth for his direction. What a wonderful example he is to us today. Let's continue in the Gospel of John some more wonderful truth in chapter 7. Uh, let's start at verse 13. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Here in verse 13, At this time no man spoke openly of Jesus for fear of the Jews. Fear of what they might think. Fear of what they might do to them if they openly supported Jesus. Isn't it often the same today? Where men and women don't openly speak of Jesus for fear of 
what others might think? Verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knows this man letters, having never learned? Jesus taught in their temple, and they were amazed at the words he spoke. He opened the scriptures and taught them with love and authority. And they questioned, Who is this man? How can he speak like this? He never went to our seminary schools. Well, verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. The doctrine, the words he spoke, and the life he lived came from his Father who had sent him. Continuing in verse 17, If any man will do God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I just speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. But he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus stated that if you will do God's will, you would know by experience that he spoke God's words and not his own words. You will know that the doctrine is true, and God will receive the glory. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified or made righteous by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's the accomplished believing of Jesus Christ. He always did the Father's will. Remember, he said, of my own self, I can do nothing. It's by his work that you and I are made righteous. Continuing in Galatians 2.16, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, or declared legally righteous in the sight of God. And it's by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. If Jesus Christ, our Savior, could do nothing of himself, and only did as the Father directed, then how about you and I? Can I of my own works be made righteous in the sight of God? No, absolutely not. Any of my works, outside of the work directed by the Spirit, is of no value. For by the works of the law, it said, shall no flesh be justified. Literally, by the works of good works, shall no flesh be declared righteous in the sight of God. Still in Galatians 2, let's look down at verse 20 and 21. I was crucified with Christ. How? Where? When? In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the old man, the sin nature inherited from Adam, was crucified and declared dead, void of authority and power. Continues on here in verse 20, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Doesn't that sound like where Jesus Christ said in the Gospels, of his own self he could do nothing? 
He only did what the Father showed him. Look at the life he lived. Do you think Jesus was deprived of anything good, living for God? Did he miss out on what the world might refer to as a good time? I don't believe Jesus missed out on anything. His life was so full of joy as he lived the life his father called him to. What about you and I? Paul stated here in Galatians that it's Christ who lives in him and that the life he now lives, he lives by the believing of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Paul's identity changed. He no longer saw himself as a sinner trying to work his way to the righteousness of God by his own works. He knew his position in Christ as a son of the Most High God. He lived according to the Spirit of God working within him. Today, you and I, we have the same privilege. We have Christ within. It's a great privilege, but in turn it also carries with it a great responsibility. A responsibility to live in light of the truth of God's Word. To speak what God says to speak. To go where God directs. To love the unlovable. To give from the love in your heart that which God has freely made available to you from His abundant resources. Continuing here in verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. To frustrate the grace of God is to try to earn by your own works that which he has already freely given you in Christ. Christ is not dead in vain. His life was worth something. His life is so valuable that it is the life that makes eternal life available for all mankind. Those who will to believe, they receive. God has no hidden agenda. Look all around and you see the way the world has turned its back on the one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How it must hurt the Father's heart to see that which he loves so deeply, mankind, run from him because of deception and fear. In light of that, those of us who know the Father, we have a mission. Remember the movie The Blues Brothers? Jake and Elroy said they were on a mission for God. Well, I'm on a mission for God. And so are you, those of you that are listening to the Spirit of Christ working within your heart. You know that God has called you to a specific mission, a mission for Him. This world is perishing. It's dying. Life is only found one place. In the heart of the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And what do we find there in His heart? We find His love for men, women, and children. And we find the Lord Jesus Christ. The value of one life, it is found in the life of Jesus Christ. That one life, it could be homeless Walter on the street corner, or it could be the wealthiest man in your town. Outside of Christ, life is meaningless for both. With Christ, 
Both of their lives are valuable beyond measure. Jesus Christ shed his blood for all so that all could freely come to the Father and receive eternal life. Those of us that have believed, we have the wonderful privilege to speak the words that reconcile men and women back to God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we'll start in verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Christ, that is what tugs on our hearts to live for God. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and Jesus Christ rescued us from certain death by dying for us. Now we are to live for him, not unto ourselves. Life is, it's not all about me. Life is not all about you. True freedom and true abundance is found in unreserved giving of our life in obedience to the one true God. Continuing here in uh, verse 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. That's a very interesting verse because it says that we no longer know Christ after or according to the flesh. Then how are we to know Christ? We are to know him, identify with him in his exalted position, seated at the right hand of God. Christ Jesus he is the head of the body of Christ. Each of us are members in particular in the body of Christ. Where the head is, the body is. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are seated at God's right hand in Christ, in the heavenlies. Continuing in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things in Christ are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Here in verse 18 it says he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19, to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation that we have received is to reconcile men and women back to God by speaking the word of reconciliation. He has committed unto you and I his word. Our responsibility is to live that word and to speak that word to others. What a ministry! What a life we have! How could any of us feel that our life has no purpose? Our purpose is found in serving Him. As the Lord Jesus Christ only did as the Father directed, 
we too today can know what the Father is directing. And one of those things is to reconcile others back to Him. Each of us has a different sphere of influence. Within that sphere, we live the Word, we walk in love, to the end that the Spirit works within us as the Father directs, to the end of reconciling men and women back to Him. What a life! What a privilege! What a responsibility! Let's continue in verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21, For he God hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin in place of us, who knew by experience no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin by experience, became sin so that you and I, who knew no true righteousness, could be made the righteousness of God in him. We began this morning by speaking of prayer and how vitally important prayer is in order for us to minister effectively. Let's pray, then let's join God in his mission and not allow his grace in our lives to be in vain. We have been called to life's highest calling. Jesus Christ did all that his Father required to the end of saying it is finished and dying on the cross for an uncaring world. Whatever your station in life, do all the Father works within you to the end of that you fulfill your specific calling within the body of Christ. God loves you. He has poured out His love in your heart. Make the decision to live that love towards a perishing world. Thank you. 
see what you see. As moment by moment you abide in me. Through laughter, joy, and prayer, I know you're always there. You're with me, Daddy. See what you see. And every soul along the way, teach me to love and what to say. My all I have, I want to give your love, your grace, your gift. So teach me, Daddy. You're with me, Daddy. Good morning, Daddy. This day's for you. Our guest today is Jimmy Allen. Jimmy is an accomplished photojournalist, having photographed presidents in Washington, scientists in Dubai, missionaries in Portugal, and priests in Tibet, and the homeless on the streets of our cities. He is the founder and CEO of Bureau Gravity in Aurora, Illinois, and above all, he is a brother in Christ that desires to see God magnified in the workplace. I'd like to welcome Jimmy Allen to the Solution Radio Show. Thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. Great to have you here. Can you tell us, Jimmy, a little bit about your background and your testimony of being saved? I grew up in Ohio. My dad was a bodybuilder, and my mom was a homecoming queen, and uh, they divorced when I was five. And I grew up with my mom in subsidized housing and, you know, really kind of learned a lot about, you know, the way that, that, uh, home operates without a father and a community operates without a lot of dads around. I probably spent the, I spent 28 years not knowing any believers, not knowing any Christians, kind of feeling like there wasn't any direction. I knew that the Bible existed. I read Proverbs. I would, I remember going to bed at night and reading Proverbs or Psalms and thinking, gosh, well, I hope I don't read a long one. And that was kind of about it. I wish somebody would have said, just, you know, it's okay if they're long. You don't have to read them all the way through. That was a, you know, a long 28 years. You know, it was a pretty amazing thing. People say it kind of lightly, but I was born again when I was 28. How that happened was uh, just being in the dark. And when you're in the dark, you're either in the dark or in the light. And I just lived 28 years completely um, without any understanding of, of what redemption was, what who Christ was, what he did for us. It was a moment at a local church here in Aurora and I had cried out to, to the Lord um, about two weeks earlier and was just being purged over those two weeks of just brokenness, just just literally crying um, from from the car to a, a, a do, the door of a building. I ended up getting a newspaper assignment to go to Dan Haas's church here in Aurora. And I walked in. I was really broken. The pastor, there was a visiting pastor, David Cape, and he had met me the night before this assignment happened. And I think he knew, I think the Holy Spirit was stirring him. And when he opened the, the morning prayer, I was sitting there in one of the pews, and I had my, my photojournalism gear on. I had a fanny pack, a couple cameras on my shoulders. And as soon as he started to pray, I had bowed my head, and 
I, I knew the Lord was there. And I literally said, you know, Lord, don't make me walk up in front of this church right now with all of, with, with what all this junk, you know, that I got on me. David had said, if you know why you're here, just put your hand up. And I knew, I mean, Christ was like right in front of me. And I, I, I said, no more deals. I'm not going to put any more things in front of this. I'm not going to, you know, whatever it was I was doing over those, those 28 years, making deals with him. I just committed my life to him right then. And the next moment, David was standing next to me, led me in prayer. I confessed uh, the Lord at that moment. And I just knew it was just such a an on and off moment. And I sat back down. I don't remember anything else that happened. And at the end of the, uh, at the end of the sermon, all the adults got up, people were walking around. And I thought, was that real or not? Some did something, you know, what, what just happened there? It wasn't until it, just a couple seconds later, a little girl kind of poked me in the leg and she put her hand out and she said, congratulations. And I knew mm-hmm. the Lord used that moment to really, to just fuel me. I walked out the door of that church and I went back to my apartment and I thought, well, what do I do now? I didn't know. I only knew one Christian and she was my photo editor. So I called her and told her, I think I got saved. She introduced me to a a bunch of really awesome Christian young people that were my age. And I got discipled over the next few years really intensely. And, you know, that transformation was um, literally it was it was being born again. I was I was I just started over and it was amazing. It was pretty dramatic for me. It was a it, it was so, so sudden. Wow, that's a wonderful story of God's right. grace and goodness in your life. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, today you are the CEO and founder of Bureau Gravity. Can you give us some of the heart and the purpose behind Bureau Gravity? A little bit of background on that is, you know, I, I, I grew up in subsidized housing, and what that means is there's not a lot of ways out. You don't see an educational track. You don't see... You don't see somebody in front of you that you can emulate. You see a bunch of people at the same parallel as you educationally and economically. So I didn't see a way out of uh, that situation. Ultimately, I know the Lord was working in my life all those years and just opening doors. I hadn't committed myself to him, but I know he was leading me. Miami University is in Oxford, Ohio, and being able to get in that school really wasn't a door that would have opened directly for me, but just God let got me into that school through a branch and I was in and uh, had some amazing professors, and one of them was a botany professor who really pushed the camera in the field, used the camera in the field, used the camera in the field. So uh, getting to Miami University really opened my eyes up to education, and I had a, a couple of great program tracks that I was in. I ended up double majoring, uh, and my, my one degree was in uh, interdisciplinary studies, and the other was in botany. So along the way, I was really intrigued by economic botany. And that is basically how we use things, how people have used things for eons. Really, I picked the camera up and started using it kind of perfunctory and just shooting. Did a couple, you know, little stories on people. And then it was uh, an opportunity that was given me to go to West Africa. Somebody paid my ticket. I spent six weeks there by myself walking around. And I literally think I heard a voice Hmm. say, this is your ticket and you're going to use this to meet people. And so I Shot those pictures in Africa, came back, called Ohio University. There's a graduate program in photojournalism there. Showed those pictures on a website in 1996, and they let me in on probation. I had no photo background or anything, but I got into this program. So immediately in, after getting in this program, 10 weeks later, I met a guy named John Kaplan who'd won a Pulitzer, and he he liked my work. And so he called uh, Tom Wallace at the Copley newspaper here in Aurora 
and they hired me. I moved to Aurora. So I worked for Copley Newspapers for several years, and the newspaper industry kind of took a took a turn. I think we all remember that. Mm-hmm. But it, when it took that hard turn, I was really sold on how stories were you know, being used in the commercial market. Basically opened a business, started co-working with a few different people, and opened a integrated communications company at that point, which was pretty pretty new around that 2000 mark. Worked for Tyndale, Christianity Today, and, you know, that was a, it was about 10 years of, of doing lots of different things as the internet market opened up and we were storytelling in, in business. So Bureau of Gravity basically is, boils down to two simple ideas. Bureaus happen all over, and gravity is this concept of, um, for me, kind of a spiritual sense, like, what do we gravitate towards? What are we drawn towards? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's that's Christ. And it's not in a religious sense drawn to Christ. It's that every morning I wake up and I'm thankful. This gravity concept is what I hover around. It, it's the, you know, the beauty of everything, really just kind of a concept I learned early on in my walk was radical obedience. And I think the idea of gravity comes from that, that this is that it's radical to live in our flesh and yet serve a spiritual God who draws us into so many amazing things. But that's the, the, the concept of Bureau of Gravity is this. It can happen all over the place. These communication companies can happen all over the place. And there's this gravitational force that people are drawn towards. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's what we see in the Word. It's, it's what we understand in art. Um, but it's a really beautiful thing when you kind of put those two ideas together and understand that people just are going to function in communications doing things they're good at, whether it's, you know, doing interviews or photography or web design, but helping people really experience them, their, their greatest calling through this company of, uh, of communications. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the long-range vision of Bureau Gravity? The long-range vision really is, it kind of comes out of my background growing up in uh, the community that I did. I drove past the Indian Trail housing development, and I thought about, like, you know, going by it. You look, and it's so insulary. There's not a lot of a lot of opportunity there. And the long-term vision of the company, of Bureau of Gravity and Gravity as an umbrella uh, concept, is that you bring knowledge to people. And knowledge can be such a, a weird thing, but if you don't know how to do something in your business... There, there's a problem, um, and it, those things will catch up to you. They may, you know, they may kill your cash flow. They may, they may end up uh, just wearing you out, and you feel like people don't hear you or you're not being understood. So, what Bureau Gravity really endeavors to do is to work out of under-resourced communities, be in an under-resourced community. Which I, I think that for us, it's that we've been in on LaSalle Street in Aurora for 15 years, and when I first moved there. People told me you can't operate a business down here. There's just too much prostitution, too much drugs. You can't do it. Uh, and we've done it. We've been there 15 years. Uh, we've gotten to know those prostitutes. We've gotten to, you know, help people through substance abuse and issues like that. The way that Bureau of Gravity really kind of hooks into a community is the same as we see it throughout Scripture, which is people are gifted in certain ways. The church, as we've, over the last, you know, last 100 100 200 years has kind of lost a sense of the beauty that comes through communications and art and we've see this in the marketplace where it's really merging now where the the businesses need that art around them to enhance and differentiate and create influence for them so there's all these young artists that are 
that are just desperate to get what God has given them out. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have vision, they have skill sets, and putting them, being able to put them into local under-resourced communities to do that for those businesses is, I think, a, a major, will be a major breakthrough in just, just basic economic development. And then on top of that execution, it's one thing to have like the just the the support that you need, but it's another thing to be able to go to a resource that can provide all that um, execution. And that's what Bureau Gravity endeavors to do. Something you said, Jimmy, in, in the a few moments ago was about the people on the streets, the prostitutes, the homeless. And I know some of the things you've shared with me, how you've had an opportunity to minister to some of those people. And in the time that I've spent with you, it's just clearly evident to me that you have a wonderful heart for God and and for people. In light of that, how do you see Bureau Gravity, and maybe we've already covered some of that, but impacting the surrounding culture and those people within the community that live on the streets that are maybe in the downtrodden neighborhoods? So I think that's the thing sometimes, and it's really challenging to talk about. We, we try to put the what on on spiritualness and faith and it's really a question of why. And we need to be caught up in these, in the daily activities around us to be able to share and have those relationships. Just the mere fact that we're located on the South Street has enabled us, well, does every day enable us to bump into people, to have the time to get to know people. There's a woman, Marie, who lives behind the studio. And every time I see her, she keeps the grounds. There's Episcopal Church behind us, and she takes care of the grounds there. She mows the grass, takes care of the shrubs and everything. And I might, I don't know, I'm sure there's other, a couple other people that know this, but Marie has no living relatives, has no family. She's a little dog princess. And every time I see Marie, just being able to hug her and kiss her on the cheek and ask her how she's doing is a big testimony to me of, of what Christ has done for me. Like, I need to be there for her. We've, over the years, tried to uh, work with her on her getting her driver's license, just mm-hmm. little things. I, I remember a, a more specific story. There was a girl that uh, was you know, prostituting on LaSalle Street. And I saw her out. It was after I had done a story on prostitution in Thailand. I I really had never identified a prostitute. And people had said they were there. So I'm standing out and I saw a girl and I said, what are you doing? And she explained to me what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she told me all about it. And I gave her a card. Actually, it was a gallery card for the exhibit for the work I had done in Thailand on prostitution. But I gave her this business card. The next day, her husband called and ask what kind of programs we had to help them. So I thought, well, we don't have any programs. We're just going to do this. So I called as many believers as I knew that would might have a heart for, you know, people. And they came in and we started working and took, we worked with this family for about three years and it was really, really hard. It was one of the toughest uh, ministry experiences I've ever had. I mean, there were just, there was a lot of physical abuse. There was, I, you know, I received physical abuse, you know, it was, we had guns pulled out at Bible studies, and it wow. was chaos. It was crazy. But years later, there's the there's fruit. I, I gave them a ride somewhere, and we were willing to just sit in the car and talk through this stuff and be able to continue to pray with them and be with them, be a support for them. And I don't think there's any way to meet that family except to be there. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, if I'm in a church somewhere or I drive to my church and it's not in that neighborhood, I'm not going to rub shoulders and bump into people and get to know them. And We've known hundreds of people like that through the years, the last 15 years of being on LaSalle Street. It's it's really almost, it's just almost impossible to describe it, but you can see it. And I think that's part of the communications factor for us because we've done exhibits on it. We've done shows. We've done films. 
And those that there is evidence there, but there's not a great audience to hear that stuff either. And that's mm-hmm. part of what Bureau of Gravity endeavors to do is to not only bring in great talent and tell those stories, but also build an audience that wants to hear those stories. That's a that's a wonderful story of deliverance or ministry within the workplace that you mm-hmm. just shared there about that young woman. In the workplace as well, what has been maybe the most rewarding aspect for you of living for God? And I, I think it kind of comes off that last question. It's really just showing up. There are so many lives we've been engaged with and touched. And, you know, my wife um, grew up as a missionary in Bolivia, and she really is gifted at hosting and caring for people. And, you know, we just have our our home, our workplace, is it's just a continual revolving door of people that we're interacting with on really powerful levels. Like, I can think uh, last Easter we had lunch with a woman who was that was a prostitute on LaSalle Street, and she's not any longer. Now she's she's working for a local sandwich shop. We had we'd gotten in touch with her again and and just invited her to lunch. And those mm-hmm. there's it's really hard. It's because it's a spiritual power that's there. I, I think I learned this a long time ago when I started when I started my business. I was pretty uh, resource uh, lacking pretty much broke. And I remember a pastor had to put gas in my car once and it was pretty humbling. And I just kept thanking him profusely. And he, he said, stop, it's my blessing. Mm -hmm. And that taught me so much. And I think that's the reward is it's my blessing. So the other day, uh, Greg, you invited me to lunch and we went and had lunch and you had written a tract and, or a, a booklet and given it to the, shared it with the waitress. And I haven't seen that happen in a while. I haven't seen somebody just be that bold. And when I walked out of there, the Holy Spirit was all over me. And I was able to, to be encouraged in that moment. I went, kept walking to work, and I walked into, I needed to, to, to make a decision on helping somebody in a tough situation where it's going to cost us to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not going to be a, a direct compensation for it. But I knew it would lighten the burden on somebody. I called a coworker and we worked through it. And I said, I'm going to go in and let this person know that. And I went into someone's office and I took that burden off of them. They were pretty distraught. Like it was, it's a tough situation for them. And at the end of not only being able to deliver that, I was able to say, Hey, can I just, can I just pray for you? And that was through your encouragement. So I think there's this thing that we we're not lone rangers. We're mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is all over us, and the and the encouragement of being able to work in a company where you own it, you you don't you make the rules, and the rules for us as far as faith is concerned in our workplace are, you know, follow the Holy Spirit. Let's see where He leads us, and it it's just that's the most rewarding part of it. Now, Jimmy, when you first walk into your Uh, office and go up the stairs right to the right there there's a picture of a gentleman Mm -hmm. and when i saw that picture when i first walked into your office before having met you i thought that guy must be like a african prince or maybe a famous musician and then we came down your steps to go to the other building and you explained to me the heart behind that picture and what it represented and who that was and it really blew my mind and i would like for you to share that incident because i think it's quite remarkable and what it really illustrates to me is some of the heart behind Bureau Gravity, your heart, is to minister uh, the Word of God, minister the love of God to people within the workspace, but then in the community and culture as well. It's, it's Again, it's really hard to, to lay this out, but when you're doing an activity with someone, when you're in relationship with somebody, 
And relationship's a heavy word because, you know, having a relationship with a with a homeless person or a person that's struggling, you know, and, and the person you're referring to, his name's Charles Jones. Uh, he's passed away. He, his nickname on the street was Queen. I wasn't a believer for more than six months, and somebody asked me to cover an event in McCarty Park. And I went over there and photographed a few people, and Queen and a woman named Mary were just kind of hugged each other. They'd both been drinking, and I made the picture, and they asked me if they could get a copy. And so I made a four-by-six of it, and I put it in the visor of my car and thought next time I see him, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him. And th- what I remember about Charles was that he was probably about six foot four, just a beautiful guy, and, and and that's all I remember. And I remember they were just gentle people that I could talk to. And, and so the point was, a couple years later, it wasn't even maybe two years later, I'm in the parking lot of our building, and, the, and that picture's still in the visor of my car. And I looked over, and I, I saw his face, but a car had just passed him. When the car went by, I was standing there, and he was rolling towards me in a wheelchair, and he had no legs mm. below his knee. Uh, both legs were gone, both of his feet. And so this man, this majestic man, uh, was now in a wheelchair with no with no feet. I'd already connected with him, but this just it just shattered you know shattered my heart for him. So uh, I gave him that photograph, and we got to know each other better. And we had had a we did a, like a New Year's Eve party for some folks at Wayside, and we invited Charles. And he came to the studio that night. And I remember him coming in his wheelchair, and I asked him if I could photograph him because we had the the event in our studio space, so that everything was set up, and I could just do some portraits. And I remember making those pictures. And and like you said, there was he's you know kingly or princely, mm-hmm. you know, he's just got an air of uh, of strength, and it's but it was buried under all of this you know weight. I mean, the homosexuality, all these things, and you know, a lot of anger and hurt. But after making those photographs, they become gifts, right? And mm-hmm. so it was a, his uh, birthday, or it was Christmas. We went over to his apartment. We were going to take that, that photograph. And I wrote Charles Jones on the wrapping paper. And I gave it to him. And he opened it up. And we had this tremendous, like, spiritual battle because he he literally was, ang- I mean, really fired angry that I wasn't, I didn't write Queen on there, that I called him by his, his name. And uh, we had this exchange, this really deep spiritual exchange. And I really just felt like, you know, I wanted to see the power of Christ save him then and there. And that's something you've, you know, it's literally getting out of the boat and walking on water. And, and I remember in in the heat of that, Charles said, uh, he's, he just, I heard a boy's voice and he said, where were you when I needed you? And I just thought, I knew I saw it. I knew this man had been hurt for his whole life. And, and he was at that point, you know, kind of sick. We didn't know what it was and had a large print of that made that we were going to put in the studio because it's a really beautiful image of him. And somebody walked in. It was another person that was, uh, you know, on the street. And uh, they they told me, hey, did you know Charles was was on his deathbed? And we went to the hospital, Kate and I, and uh, I just, I, I can st- see it in my mind's eye. I can look at him in that dark room in his hospital bed. You know, so this whole relationship went from photographing him in a park on a sunny day while he was drinking to uh, a few years of relationship and then to being able to stand and pray with him and him know the sincerity. We didn't just go to pray with him. We went to tell him, you know, you know, in that moment with Christ there that, you know, how much we cared about him. And we really, you know, we did genuinely. It wasn't just some guy. It was, we'd fallen in love with him. And I think that's the thing that is 
for me really special. It's like God, God through my upbringing uh, in the in the housing that I lived in really taught me empathy for people. Mm-hmm. And it's not an intellectual empathy. It's a it's a pain in my heart and my legs. I can feel it when I see somebody in that situation. That's that's really what we're doing down there. We use tools to stay in that game, and mm-hmm. those tools just happen to be cameras and other things. Right. Well, that photo reminds me of the great dignity and worth of a human life that God places upon it, because mm-hmm. that's what you see in that photo when you see it. What's on your heart today that maybe you'd like to share with our listeners? Driving in this morning, and I happened to have a, a CD was in, and it was uh, Bob Dylan's Stro- Slow Train Coming. And every time I listen to that album, I hear a man who who got, who got was saved. You know, the Lord just saved him, and he wrote this incredible album, and I'm, I'm listening to it, and that's the art of it. But mm-hmm. there was a huge business around him as well that made him Bob Dylan, that made that really put him on the map and we all know who he is and but the it doesn't change the fact that there's this that Christ got a hold of a heart and he made that available to us and you know I think that the the church that that Christ is going to come back for that the pure church is going to be a church that understands and has has a great deal of wisdom and I, I just ran across Jeremiah 3:15 yesterday morning and I've been thinking about how he says he's going to raise up uh, shepherds that are going to provide this knowledge and this understanding to the to the body of Christ, and I I just I long and I and I hunger to understand Him working that out through our day to day lives, and I that's what I personally am endeavoring to do. I don't think I have any strength or power to make that happen. I think I have to obviously, like we all do, have to lean into Christ's leading on that, but. I see him working towards a time where he he wants to return and and find his his people understanding of him deeply understanding of him and that if you if somebody looks into that that the beauty of the way he explains that understanding and knowledge is much much deeper than we would even care to understand it but I I think the church I want to lay that out there I think that people need to look around and find ways that we can deepen that understanding in the body of Christ. And I don't think it's just going to happen on Sunday mornings. I think we need to look beyond that and feel hungry to encourage people who who might be those shepherds. What would be the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? The easiest way to get a hold of me is to, to call me on my cell phone, 630-788-1348. Again, 630-788-1348. And you can go to bureaugravity.com and see the kind of work that we're doing. But we definitely want to connect with people who might be uh, thinking about things that we've talked about today. Well, I'll put a link up on our website to your website as well. And thank you so much, Jimmy, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Greg, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks. Will I ever find
for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show, and thank you to Jimmy Allen for sharing his heart and life with us today. All of the Solution Radio Shows are archived at thesolutionradioshow.com, where you may re-listen at your convenience. There are also links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also on the website, there is a page for upcoming events. I have the privilege of teaching three evenings on the book of Thessalonians and the awesome hope we have with the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are still two sessions remaining. That's this Tuesday, March 8th, and then again on Tuesday, March 15th. Both of those are at Grace Christian Fellowship in Naperville. A reminder that the Praise Line is open 24 hours a day where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life. The number is 844 844- 705-3410. We will play some of those testimonies in upcoming shows. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. The Solution Radio Show is listener-supported, both by your prayers and your financial giving. All donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Our mailing address is The Solution Radio Show, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. Once again, that address is P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. There also is a donation link available on our website. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are... God's very best.